Welcome to Conversations in Complexity. Today I am delighted to welcome Gail Elliott. Gail is a gerontologist, educator, and author, and a dementia specialist, and she's also the founder of Dementia Ability Enterprises Incorporated. Welcome, Gail. Thank you very much, Ross. So I want to start by asking you, you know, in a life you can go down many roads, how is it that you ended up working in the field of dementia? Well, my journey started a very long time ago. I was, uh, I think I was in high school at the time and looking for a job. And I saw a posting to uh, work in a nursing home. It was my first time ever in a nursing home. And I walked through the doors and I smelled something very unpleasant. And then I looked around me and I saw all these people in their wheelchairs and they all looked like they might be dead. And that just struck me. There was a lot of work to be done in this field. So when I went to university, I uh, decided I was going to focus some of my studies on aging. And at the time, dementia wasn't really well developed. We still used words like organic brain syndrome and other words. And it was very early in our understanding that there was something more than Alzheimer's disease. So uh, I went to graduate school in Florida and was part of a very interesting training lab, uh, research lab. And when I came back, I started working in the community. I've worked in long-term care. I've worked in uh, educational academic settings. And whenever I strayed to do something else, I always came back and said, my heart is in dementia care. And so I retired from McMaster about seven years ago now and said the focus has to be to get the science off the bookshelves and into the hands of those who need it. There's all kinds of evidence out there. So I said, I'm going to work and focus on providing education to caregivers, to professionals, and uh, try to make a difference. Excellent. So we kind of share a similar way by which we got into aging. So I remember um, my grandmother actually lived in a, a senior's home. And uh, my father used to take me along to visit and I would go around and I got to know all of the people and I made friends with uh, her neighbors and would sit in with oh, them. And awesome. I always had kind of a, an affinity towards older adults. And in those days, that would be a long time ago when I was young, we would talk about senility and it was yes. almost kind of yes. normalized that you knew you were reaching the end phase of your existence when your brain started to go. And then that was considered part of the natural course. And then it was eclipsed. Uh, now, of course, as you're well aware, dementia is one of the most complex conditions facing us both at a treatment level, but also at a social policy level. Yes. Where would you see, if I were to make you the health czar or the social services czar to give you unfettered power to change the system to improve dementia care, what would you do? I would begin with education. Okay. Tell me about that. I believe that the number one barrier we have to uh, successful outcomes in dementia care is people just don't understand what dementia is, and they don't understand the brain. They don't mm. understand how the brain impacts behavior. They don't understand that um, there is spared capacity. So a lot of what we see in dementia is not because of dementia, it's disuse. So if you look at the research on excess disability, you see there's a lot of things people can do if only people understood what it is they needed to do. So wherever you go around the world, you have different terminology. Mm -hmm. You see the BPSDs of behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia. 
In Ontario, we call it responsive behaviors. In other places, they call it challenging, difficult behaviors. No matter what way we look at it, it's unmet needs. Caregivers in the community, if we can help them understand what it is their loved one needs, and it may be memory cues in the bathroom. One of the biggest tipping points is that uh, people um, who are caring at home no longer want to care if there's urinary incontinence or other. Yeah. So what if we could educate caregivers earlier to understand how the brain is working and what is spared so we could set them up for success? Because if we don't do something soon, there's not going to be any staff available to work because everybody's burning out. Yes. You wouldn't send a surgeon in to do surgery without the tools. Why are we sending caregivers in without the tools? Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. The way that services have been structured is to maximally burn out everybody who is engaged in the process. And I have two concerns with that. One is not just that burnout is not desirable for healthcare professionals or for caregivers. But that I think there's a way in which we could reconceptualize and reconstitute things in such a way that this doesn't have to happen. Second concern I have is that the experiences that caregivers have and people watching the caregiver, so often it might be the spouse or the adult child, but people are watching what's happening and saying, no thanks, don't want anything to do with that because it's we've normalized as inevitable certain deeply dysfunctional patterns. So let me comment on that one. That is absolutely so. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that the International Association of Alzheimer's Disease, um, their most recent report says the number one barrier we have is stigma. Yeah. So... If you were to diagnose one of your patients with a heart disease, the person would tell somebody, oh, I have a heart problem. If you tell somebody they have Alzheimer's disease, how many freely want to share that? Not many. We haven't passed the stigma stage. Yeah. So one of the things that I teach is to get around some of the barriers is education, 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 because that's what we need. Yes. So imagine that um, I'm a family member, caregiver of somebody just diagnosed with Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. or dementia. What would be the things that you would want to communicate to me? So the very first thing is, is I like to work with physicians Mm -hmm. uh, to talk about, don't argue with a person with dementia, you won't win. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yes. Uh, That's an important part. So right from the very early stages of diagnosis, the other thing I teach uh, both professionals and family caregivers, depending on, this is all about brain and behavior, Mm -hmm. depending on where the brain is damaged. There's some people, if you tell them that they, you know, oh, we've got the test back and we're showing there's some lesions on your brain. Um, I'm afraid it's come back showing that you have, um, say, a vascular frontal lobe dementia. No, I don't. No, no, you really do. No, I don't. So right from the very beginning, we have to understand that person's not arguing to be difficult. They don't have insight. They don't have judgment. So caregivers need to understand why the behavior, they're not being difficult. That's different from a person with Alzheimer's that memory's a hallmark feature. Yes. And it may be they lack 
the ability right now to process the fact they have insight right now and think, I know what's coming for me and I don't want to acknowledge it. And that's more to do with, this is hard. Yes. And I don't want to share it. Yeah. That's a different outcome than the person that's totally and truly not understanding there's something wrong. And I've done work with uh, people in long-term care with dementia and asked them if they knew anybody with Alzheimer's or other types of dementia. And in a home area where everybody had dementia, not one of them had dementia as far as they were concerned. Yes. Showing that from the early stage, it's not that they're arguing with you. It may be that they're having difficulty. And some of them in those interviews we did actually said, you people don't want to talk about what we want to talk about. You redirect. Yes. So there's lots for us to learn from people with dementia early on. So right from the very beginning, we have to understand it's brain. Don't argue with them. They may be processing or not understanding. Well, one of the things I found uh, in my clinical work, exactly that, don't argue, but often there's histories in couples, for example, uh, that you need to get one of the, to unlearn all of their reactions to how they've been interacting for, you know, 30, 40, 50, sometimes 60 years. Lifetime. Lifetime. Um, that takes a little bit of coaching. And I think that we've not actually, and I, you probably see this in your work, we don't go there. That's right. So one of the things I teach is we need to validate how the caregiver is feeling. Yes. That's really important right from the onset. We need to understand that this journey is not about the person with dementia. It's about both of you. Yeah. Because we know caregivers are burning out. Yeah. The second thing is I use a model. It's called the wow model. Who is this person? Who was this person in the past? Who are they in the present? And what are your observations? And when you're the loved one that has dealt with things that maybe not been your favorite your whole life under mm -hmm. observations, certain things may trigger a response because that's the way it always was. So you have to figure out what you're going to do. So you have, that's why the education for the caregiver is so critical to help them understand what's going on and what they need to think about. And it may be that the person never said, I love you to a child. Yeah. And now the child doesn't want to give a, I love you back. Yes. But when we understand brain and behavior, those frontal lobe gatekeepers have opened up and now they're ready to give you a hug. Yes. So we need to understand what's happening to the brain, where the damage is, so we can help all those who provide care to figure out what it is they need to do to help everybody be successful. Yeah. And I think, you know, starting with the closest caregiver, the one who spends the most time and then enabling them to actually work out to the other members of the family. So a classic story that I would hear is, you know, dad has dementia and we can't have a dinner party because dad always disrupts. Well, then they ask the question, well, why is dad disrupting? Because there's so much information going along around that he can't follow and becomes frustrated. So, but dad also likes to talk about his war stories and, but everybody in the family's heard them a thousand times and they don't want to spend time. So <laughs> just it, rotate around, you know, <laughs> each person spends 10 minutes listening to dad's uh, war stories, even though they've heard them a hundred times, but then they cycle around and dad feels he's part of it and doesn't blow up. 
I think you're interested in environmental and built changes. Yes. There's sure. all sorts of things that we can do that are simple, That's low right. cost, Absolutely. not high tech that can actually make the lives of caregivers and people with dementia easier. Absolutely. So again, I look at who the person was in the past, who they are in the present. So yeah. he loves war stories. My observation is, is when he's at these events, he wants to talk about war stories. Why not? Why don't we put a memory book together? Mm -hmm. And when we put the memory book together, see what he adds to it. And then maybe we find an activity. Maybe we go on the websites, whatever they are, to find stories that he could talk about mm -hmm. that might add a different dimension. Maybe it could be we go on something like Pinterest and print some pictures off from the war and ask him to talk, did this ever happen to you? And get news stories. Yes. Well, we also, and uh, not to promote what we're doing, but what I try to do is create things so that people with dementia are set up for success. And one of the things we created because of situations like that, it's called Let's Chat or Let's Chat Some More, and they're conversation prompts. Mm -hmm. So go through the conversation prompts and it will give new things to talk about. So the question might be, what was the happiest day in your life? Yes. And you might be surprised at the answer. Yes. It might be, you know, books are full of questions that are set up for success or give them questions to answer that have two answers. So for example, where did something happen and give them choice A or B. It doesn't have to be the right answer, but whatever answer they give, just say, oh, that's interesting. That's great. They've made the choice. It doesn't have to be correct. Set everybody up for success and give them something different to do or give them jobs to do yeah. at the dinner. So he's not just sitting talking. Yes. Yeah. Don't park people and no. and keep as if they're not there. No. They're pieces of furniture. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's often how people with dementia experience the world. And the other thing I would do if you have a, a family gathering and my mom had dementia and she lived with us. And if we had a family gathering, we'd all wear name badges. Mm. And then she always thought we were doing them so everybody else would know her name. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. So it wasn't that we were doing it so you will remember. Right. But then every time she would read a name badge, if she'd forgotten one of the family members' names, like the children or grandchildren, she would be able to read it and be successful. So it never looked like she was not being successful when we got together. Well, one of the things um, I find attractive about what you just presented is this notion that novelty and newness is possible within the dementia journey. And so many people are of the mind that nothing good, nothing new, nothing original, nothing productive is going to come out exactly. of this that it's in an inexorable negative slide. So the more that we can do to actually that's why it's called dementiability yeah. is because most people do not realize that many people have so many abilities. So even reading, mm -hmm. one of the things, one of the biggest contributions we've made is people now, especially here in Ontario, when I say if they could read before, they can probably read now. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, 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 not where we are. Well, now when I'm teaching, people say, oh, yeah, we know that. Well, when I go to other provinces or maybe even to other countries, oh, no, not where we are. Well, you know what? You might be surprised. It's the size of the font mm -hmm. and it's the content of what is in the materials that is important. 
You need to look at what they're able to do and then set them up for success. Yes, it's fascinating. So having had experience both clinically and in the family with dementia, but I also have a daughter who teaches special education and they do a lot of talk about the spectrum and Mm -hmm. avoiding neurotypicality, right? Mm. There's this norm of how you ought to behave and think. Mm And if we, and exporting that approach to say, you know, dementia is just a spectrum of different ways in which the brain functions. And what we need to do is find out where those abilities lie. And as you say, bring those forward. I mean, eventually there's going to be an inevitable decline and but there's but some, plan for that. But there is some evidence to suggest if you keep the brain mm-hmm. active, the body active, keep people socially connected. Yes. That the decline is less significant and the drop off is at the end. Yes. So if we can think of body, mind and social connection, keeping people engaged, enhancing their function, we've been able to show that uh, people who couldn't go to the toilet in the past, we've got them in long-term care, Mm -hmm. not in the community. So if we can do it in long-term care, we can do it in the community. So they were dry at the end of the day, but they had all been in wet incontinent products, but by using memory cueing Mm. and teaching them, this is the procedural memory. When you have to go to the toilet, follow these signs. What should you do? And if you can remember that for 10 seconds or more, then you've got enough short-term memory, maybe 20 seconds. Mm. We're going to test it out. The research on space retrieval, this is another memory training program, goes back to the late 1800s. So the science is here. Right. I'm just trying to get it out to everybody so that they know that what's possible. So we can help people find things, find their way, do things in the right order. These are what we call the signs and symptoms of dementia. But if we put the memory cues up, it's magic. You yeah. can see not everybody, but if they have that ability to do that much, you might be surprised what they'll be able to do. So it strikes me that we need a political and policy will yes. to avert what are clearly preventable adverse consequences to patients, their caregivers, and then ultimately to the healthcare system. So if you had one piece of advice that you were to give the Minister of Health to alleviate or to improve dementia care, what would that be? I would say that uh, the number one thing we need to do is think strategically about how we can roll education out that's based on evidence, based on the science that already exists in the journals. There's lots of it on environment, brains, and behavior. And talk about how we can systematically, strategically, and collaboratively work together to get this into the hands of the caregiver that's supporting someone at home. I just came back from Taiwan, and I think it's almost 90% of of the caregivers are actually at home. We have a lot of work to do to support people in the community so that by the time they need help in long-term care, they're not burnt out, their health is not in jeopardy. And then if they need to be in long-term care, the staff there know what to do. I've had homes where I've taught long-term care homes where Behavioral Sports Ontario is a program here in Ontario where um, the government has supported positions in long-term care and they're called just a behavioral support worker. And I remember one in particular saying, since I took your course and I got certified in dementiability, I'm not busy anymore because we're anticipating the needs. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about his challenges and behaviors. We're talking about we anticipate the needs. 
we don't have the behaviors here. So we're not as busy doing paperwork. We're busy giving them something to do. Yes. Improving the lives of not only those in our care, but those who support them. So at a policy level, we need more education or we simply are not going to have staff available to work in the community long-term care and families are going to be totally burnt out. I think that this is a, a wonderfully positive message and given the projections of the incidence and prevalence of dementia over the next few decades, we need this message broadly disseminated and your passion and commitment to improving dementia care normalized in the system. So I'm very grateful for you taking time to come and speak to us today. It's been a fabulous conversation. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. 